The Grammy Award nominations were announced recently, and when I saw the list, my first thought was, okay, wow, there are a lot of queer women listed here. And my second thought was, oh my god, that includes Brandi Clark. Brandi Clark's music I've been listening to for years, truly years. I bought a hard copy version of her first record when it came out in 2013. That is called 12 Stories, and it is super, super fantastic. And since then, I've been continually captured by the story she tells in songs that she writes for herself and others. Brandy's written for people like Reba McIntyre and Miranda Lambert. She's also one of the co-writers of the hit Casey Musgrave song, Follow Your Arrow. Now this year, Brandy's nominated for Best Country Album for Your Life is a Record, and she's nominated for Best Country Solo Performance for the song Who You Thought I Was. If she wins in either category, she'd be the first out gay person to do that. So with the Grammys coming up in just a few days through this weekend, I thought now was the perfect time to talk to her. From The Advocate magazine in partnership with GLAAD, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A with Brandi Clark. So I think that we have this idea of the country music world as not being a queer-friendly place. Before you even started working in Nashville, did you also have that assumption? I did. I didn't realize that I was gay until after I had moved to Nashville. I was kind of a late bloomer. But I definitely, once I had that realization, thought that it would make it so that I wouldn't have at least an artist career. I thought I could, you know, be a songwriter. I knew plenty of gay songwriters. But I definitely, yeah, I had had it in my head that being gay and being in country music could not, those two things could not coexist, is what I thought. Well, until very recently, there were very few openly gay country music artists to, like, disprove that thought. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, I thank God for people like Katie Lang, Shelly Wright, Ty Herndon. When Ty or Shelly, when they came out of the closet, I think people in the industry probably saw it as, oh, career suicide there. The great thing for me was there was no career suicide to commit because I was already out of the closet. So whatever happened for me once I became an artist, it was icing on the cake. You know, I would, there was no nothing to hide. So if you were assuming that you could never have a career as a singer, as like a front woman, when did that change or when did that switch for you? You know, it switched for me when the opportunity to make my first record, 12 Stories, came around. I was writing songs and starting to get songs recorded, and a couple of managers approached me about me making a record. And I remember at the time being really nervous to tell them that I was gay, because I thought that would be the end of our journey together. I'll always be thankful for both Terry Elam and Emily Marchbanks for several reasons. But one of the bigger ones was I remember telling Emily, well, hey, I have to tell you something. And I said, I'm gay. And she was just like, oh, well, I don't care. Things would have been different for me if she would have said, ooh, I don't know. I think about that conversation a lot. I definitely knew I didn't want to go back in the closet. At that point, I was 35 years old and had been out of the closet for quite a while and was really happy with my life. Every step of the way, every label I've worked with never comes up. That's how okay it all is. Thinking about some of your favorite songs that I have, I think about like, Can We Be Strangers? And that song is beautiful and it's also gender neutral. But a lot of your work on your previous album were about relationships with men. Was that a conscious choice you were making while doing the songwriting? No, 
not necessarily. You know, a lot of the songs that I've recorded, I was just writing songs. And a lot of the songs I've recorded when I wrote them, we were trying to get somebody else to record them. And so, yes, I guess, you know, that that would be a conscious choice if it's like, okay, well, we really want Reba McIntyre to sing this. So, you know, the pronoun is going to be he. And I never thought to change that. That probably would have been a really great thing for me to do for representation. You know, now that I look back on it, I wish I would have done that. You know, on this last record, there's none of that. But I also think that's part of my my development and my growth as a human being to get to where I am. I mean, I think that conversations about representation are trickier and like more complex than we give them credit for. You've always been out in your career, and I don't expect you to tattoo lesbian on your forehead. Although I might advocate for that, to be honest. But I'm a fan of your music. But it wasn't until your publicist emailed me to pitch you for this podcast that I actually found out that you were gay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I never Googled. I never sought out that information about you. And so that's why I think it's tricky, because at the same time, you are also allowed to have a private life and be private if you want to be. Yeah, you know, I think privacy is a big thing for all of us. I think we should all have a certain amount of privacy as humans. I think secrecy is where we get ourselves into trouble. I remember, you know, when I was coming out of the closet, I thought, I don't want any more secrets because secrets really made me feel real sick. But yeah, my private life has always been pretty private and I do like it that way. This album in particular, though, I think that you've called your most personal album. Does it feel like with this album you are exposing a new piece of yourself? 100%. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing in the process, like in the process of writing these songs. You know, I went through the breakup of a 15-year relationship. So there's a lot of that in those songs. And, you know, sometimes when you're writing, it's better for me to just go in and write songs and not think too much. And what usually happens is one song starts to resonate with me, with management, with label. And that song this time was Past is the Past, which is the last song on the record. There's a reason why that song resonated. And I think it's because for me, I was at the end of writing those songs. It's like, okay, you know, I've made it to this point where it feels in my heart, like, okay, the past is the past. I can let that go. And I think that was why that that song became the cornerstone of the project. Oh, in that case, we should play a little bit then. So this is the past is the past, which Brandy was just talking about. This is where the past is the past, where the meant to be ain't meant to last, where the maybe we can work it out turns into maybe we can. I think it's interesting to hear you talk about writing songs, especially for other people, because you co-wrote the album's first single, which is called Who You Thought I Was. And you didn't intend for that song to be for you initially. That surprises me because that song is becoming one of your biggest. I feel like you're going to be expected to sing it at every live show you ever do for the rest of your life. And it's interesting to me that you didn't recognize that right away or think it was for you initially. I hope you're right about it being classic and having to play it for the rest of my life because I love it. Here's why I didn't think it was for me. I was at the Americana Awards and John Prine came out on stage and everybody stood up, gave him this big standing ovation. When they finally sat down, he said, well, I'm John Prine, but I'd like to go back to being who you thought I was. And that really hit me in the heart. 
And then as a songwriter, I heard the second thing I heard was, well, that's a song. And so the next day I went in and I was writing with Jesse Joe Dillon and Jonathan Singleton and Jonathan sang the demo. I think I just didn't think it was my song because he sang it so well, but it kept coming back to me. I never turned it in to the label. And like a week before I was going in to make this record, I said to my manager, hey, this song is probably not for me, but I want to play it for you just to be sure. And I played it for her and she just, she was blown away by it. And she's like, I think it's totally for you, but don't change anything. Don't change cowboy to cowgirl. Don't come up with a female artist for Elvis. Just keep it exactly as it is. And that was the best advice I got on that song. I don't know if this sounds fair, but a lot of the stories you're telling, it seems like your career and like these choices have been happening like passively to you. Like you were songwriting and then they were like, hey, let's make an album. Does that sound fair to you, that judgment? No, not really. Here's the truth. The only reason why I was surprised when I had the opportunity to make a record was because I had been turned down so many times. I thought that that opportunity had passed me. And so I was really just getting comfortable in a different dream. I thought, well, okay, maybe that wasn't supposed to happen. And I love writing songs and this is starting to happen. And so, okay, I want to feel as good about this as I would about making my own records. And as far as turning in songs, that's something I'm always doing. You know, I think this time it was so different for me because the last record I made, Big Day in a Small Town, It was promoted at Country Radio. I had a top 40 hit out of Girl Next Door, but overall didn't have the the success at radio that I really wanted for that record. And I had to decide like, okay, maybe that's not the lane that I'm meant to walk down. Just shifting gears in my head, I had to let go of the idea of, oh, I need a Country Radio hit. Both records I made, I always thought that way. This time I knew that wasn't the path in any way. So I was kind of in different waters, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It wasn't that you didn't want to make an album. It was just you had been told no so many times. Right. And I honestly thought that being gay, I I thought, you know, once I came out of the closet, I thought me being an artist in the country lane on any major scale, it's just not in the cards. And boy, I was wrong. You know, that's one of the times I've been really happy to be wrong. You know, we make really broad generalizations in general. But when it comes to country music, we really associate it with being conservative. Do you feel like your fans will not tolerate overtly political views that contradict their own? I think my fans are not real conservative. I think there are this sect of country music fans that were fans of the Dixie Chicks. My first tour was with Jennifer Nettles. I think Jennifer Nettles and Sugarland have a very liberal fan base. So a lot of those the, a lot of those Jennifer Nettles fans became Brandy Clark fans. So my base of fans, they're pretty liberal. In fact, I think I'd get more flack for not saying things than from speaking out. I also have a lot of fans, you know, I was did a lot of work with Casey Musgraves on her first two records. I, I'm a co-writer on Follow Your Arrow. So I have a lot of fans from that. And those fans are extraordinarily liberal. And not that I don't have conservative fans. I think they're more like conservative liberals. Follow Your Arrow was a huge song for Casey Musgraves that, as you said, you co-wrote. In terms of the business of music, 
It surprises me that people would look up who wrote that song and then want to seek out that person. What happened was, out of that, out of my work with Casey, Casey has always been one of my biggest champions. Before I had a publicist, I had Casey. You know, like, she would talk about me in interviews and, oh my God, you know, my my friend and co-writer Brandy Clark made this record and you got to hear it. That was how that happened. Oh, that makes so much more sense. I'm just fascinated by songwriting because a great song has the ability to wow you, even with subpar vocals. And you do not have that problem. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. But you're the expert here. What does a great song sound like? What are you listening for or hoping it does to you? I don't think a great song, I don't think there's a sound to a great song. I think there's a feeling to a great song. I think it makes you feel something. My first publisher told me, you know, music falls into two categories. It's either good or it's bad. If it makes you feel something, it's good. If it doesn't, it's bad. I think that's what a great song does. It makes you feel. I think this song's more than the business of music. It's the business of feelings. We're really selling emotions with what we do more than something specific musically. Oh, and to use an example, one of my favorite songs of yours is from your first album. Oh, wait, can you guess which one? Is that okay? Is, is there one that people usually say? Well, it's probably my favorite one, which is Hold My Hand. Yes, yes, it's so good. Before I expound and ask about it, can you give the brief synopsis of what it's about? Because it is about a small, single moment that I maybe wouldn't have thought a song would be able to capture. Thank you. You know, I wrote that with a guy named Mark Stephen Jones, who's a genius, and he had that idea. And he said, I've always wanted to write a song about you know, when you're with somebody and you see their ex and you're thinking, come on, this would be a good time to hold my hand. I remember he put his hands together. He's like, but it's not really a hook. I said, oh, but I think it is. I love a song about a split second decision. That's, those are some of my favorite songs because that song really is about the time it takes for you and I walk into a restaurant for me to take my hand out of my pocket and grab your hand. Oh, right. And in that one split second, if they don't take your hand, it ruins your whole night. Yeah, (laughs) it sure does. Amazing. Okay, that is a great setup. Now, let's hear a tiny bit of it. She could steal most any woman's man. This would be a real good time to hold my hand. So what you were saying about songs making you feel something, it made me think about that song because Hold My Hand is simple and beautiful, but also simple can be an insult. So how do you find the balance between simple in a good way and not too simple? That's a great question, too, because I think all the classics are really simple. I think simple is the hardest thing to write. You've got to be spare with everything. And you have to just say it in an honest way that says it a little differently. A really great example in that song, you know, I can't remember what the color of the girl's hair was. You know, it ended up being raven as the color. And I said, man, I wish that that, that first word was something, you know, you don't, you're not used to hearing. And Mark said, raven. I knew exactly what that meant. He was coming up with another way to say black. You know, Raven is the color of her long, curly hair. You know, just little things like that, I think, makes simple really work. I see. 
And so with this example, your co-writer tells you this idea about like that moment when you're waiting for the person to grab your hand in a new relationship. If that's step one in the songwriting process, like what is step two? I think step two, you know, if you're co-writing is to get on the same page. I mean, I remember he was wanting the singer to sort of tear down the woman, the ex. He said, because you know, that's how you girls are. And I said, really? Do you want to know what she's really thinking when she's saying that anything other than she's beautiful? And Mark's like, yeah, you tell me, you know? And I said, she's thinking, oh my God, that's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And he's probably still in love with her. And he sat back. It was like he got it. And he like basically just spat out that first verse. Just boom. And I think that's the art and the pleasure of collaboration is to have somebody make you see something from a different angle. One of the things I don't understand about the like business and process of songwriting is if you write a great song, how do you not hear it and think, oh my God, this is going to be a massive hit. Let me give it away. Like, how is it like you give that away instead of just like saving it for yourself? I really believe that songs find their right home. I just believe that. There's never been a song of mine that someone else has recorded that I have sat back and thought, man, I wish I had that. I feel like wasn't meant for me. If it is, I keep it. There are songs that I write that are on these records that when they were written, I'm like, that song's for me. You know, don't play that for anybody. It does happen. Yes. And the longer I do this, the more it happens because I have less time to write and fewer songs in my catalog, you know, that I haven't recorded because I'm out playing shows or promoting an album. So this album, let me think of one. Well, Love is a Fire was that way for me. I knew I wanted that. And that was one where the label really trusted me. They weren't as into that song as I was. And I was like, I know what this can be. And then when they came to listen to the album, it was the third song they heard. And they turned around and said, well, we were wrong about that one. But that's a song I held for a long, long time. Oh, because you knew eventually you'd want to release it. Yeah, I knew that one was for me. I know that this is a simple question, but when it comes to songwriting, like the craft of that, how much did you have to learn versus just like natural ability? Wow, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've learned it all. And that it's not natural ability. But the truth is there is natural ability in there. There are things that I do instinctively. Like I've always been told that my phrasing is really good. When I first moved to Nashville, before I really knew, before I knew where the bar was, before I knew, and by the bar, I mean not the, not the bar down the street, but, you know, the bar you're trying to hit as a songwriter. I was told, well, your, your natural phrasing is really good. I can always make a line sing. That is instinctive to me. The rest of it, I really learned. And has it always been just about your songwriting? I wonder about the vocal component to it, because you have this crystal clear voice. There is this clarity to it that I think is so recognizable. And we just haven't talked about that at all. Thank you. Yeah, I worked really hard at that. For the first part of my time in Nashville, I worked harder on that than songwriting. It wasn't until after I started to see, oh, maybe this artist part isn't going to happen for me. I always loved writing songs, and I worked at it hard. But when when I started to feel like I wasn't going to have an artist career, I really dug into songwriting differently. But before that, 
I was, I mean, I was somebody that I took voice lessons. I practiced every day. You know, I was pretty disciplined as far as being a singer. You know, to that, this new album is the first that you have ever put out that actually has a picture of you on the cover. That was a huge choice. And that was a tough choice for me. And boy, I love that you noticed that. I was really pushed on that. I always wanted my albums to never have me on them. I wanted them to be some kind of artwork. And my the label and my manager were like, no, you need to be on the cover of this one. Like, this needs to be a different statement. This needs to say, I am an artist. And I'm so glad, because that was a vulnerable moment for me, because I'm not somebody who sees myself. I don't want to, I don't want this to be misconstrued. I've never been that person who looks in the mirror and thinks, oh my God, you're awful. But I've also never been that woman who looks in the mirror and thinks, oh my God, you're gorgeous. I really feel like I live in the middle in a healthy way. And most female artists, I feel like they're just stunning. And so I think I was a little bit nervous to, to step out there and put myself out there in that way. But I'm really glad I did. I think that that is a really big deal and the perfect place to leave it at. Oh. So thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Brandi Clark's new album is called Your Life is a Record. She's nominated for a Grammy this year for Best Country Album and Best Country Solo Performance for the song Who You Thought I Was. Now, if you enjoyed the interview, as always, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and help spread the word on social media. Doing things like that are really the biggest way that you can help our show continue to grow. So thank you so much to everyone who does that. We're on Twitter and Instagram at LGBTQ Pod. I'm on there at Jeff Masters One. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with Glad. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I will see you next week. Bye.